Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. All right. Good morning, everybody. You are in the Recovered Life discussion, Rewiring Your Brain. My name is Christina Dennis. I am a recovery coach who specializes in breaking codependent patterns and behaviors. And my co-mod, Deanna, is with me today. Good morning, Deanna. Good morning. Morning. So happy to see you. Um, I'll just do a quick introduction so everybody understands the format. If you've been with us for the last three months, we have been doing an in-depth review on Brene Brown's latest book, Atlas of the Heart. And it has been incredible, truly. Um, if you are, have, or don't have the book or haven't been here prior to this morning, don't worry about it. Each chapter is written so that we discuss several different emotions. And um, I've pinned the Recovered Life link where there are nine, nine chapters of notes for anybody who's interested in reading about uh, what we've already discussed. This book is amazing, I have to say. And when I first started listening to it, the information was so dense and rich, I knew I wanted to bring this conversation to this particular platform and with my recovery people and, you know, my family. It is, you know, the idea behind the book is that she takes, I think it's something like 113 emotions and does deep dives um, into each one and really the purpose is to add language to the feelings that we're having. And I love it because it has taught me something from every word, you know, that I've thought um, about or used casually. It's really, really taught me so much about ourselves. And for those of you who don't know, Brene Brown just celebrated 25 years in addiction recovery and so she is one of us and i think that makes her work so incredibly special um and you can just see it can't you deanna throughout all of her writings yes definitely i agree as as i feel like i'm part of the community that she's in as i'm reading this book like we're all a part of this community so i feel so like everything in it is for me <laughs> <laughs> and just um it's just such a special place and that is one of the reasons why we chose this book um, you are in a recovered life discussion and uh, it might seem kind of odd to be talking about emotions in a neuroscience room but she explains it so well and once we have language to describe the feelings because often 100 percent actually of the time we will feel something before we will think something and so this information that she's presented so beautifully and that we're going to dive a little deeper into really does give us the tools to um, reevaluate, to explain our thoughts, to shape them. And um, 
and I just, it's been extraordinary. So very quickly, some of the ground rules for the room is that we use first names only. This is rebroadcasted. So we wanna protect our anonymity and people's comfort level. Of course, I, being a host, always am fine if you use my last name for whatever reason, but for the people that are willing to come up and share and be vulnerable, I wanna make sure that we respect them. Uh, usually do a format that includes discussion. And so if you're in the listening lounge and you have a particular thing to say or an interest, it's a lot more fun if more people come up and share their insights based on the information that we will be presenting. And uh, so I want you to start thinking about that because you are welcome to come up at any time. Good morning, Damon. It's good to see you up here. I hope you're having a beautiful morning. <laughs> so I want to start off with the name of the chapter and the emotions that we will be exploring today. Now, I don't think we're going to get through all of them. So there will be a part two. And it's such an important chapter. I think there's going to be a lot of really good, rich feedback and thoughts. And I want to make sure that we spend the time really going through it. So Deanna, um, per our usual, Will you read the name of the chapter and the emotions that we will be discussing? I can indeed. Before I do that, I just want to acknowledge something you just said, that we will feel something before we think something. I had to write that down. I really, really like that. And I love that you said that as we're reading this book. That just really resonated. So here we go. We are on chapter 10, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown places we go when the heart is open. The emotions we're talking about are love, lovelessness, heartbreak, trust, self-trust, betrayal, defensiveness, flooding, and hurt. Just that, right? That's all? I mean, those are huge. Um, and I, I have to say that we've reviewed chapters before which have been really, you know, more painful to discover and to look at our own behaviors. But when I first saw the name of this, because I am taking it chapter by chapter, um, I thought, oh, good. <laughs> this feels a little lighter than some of the chapters we read. But as I got into it, it really, it really did uh, what all the other chapters have done, which is shake me to my core. So. Um, I want to start off with the first one, love. And Brene talks about, and just so everybody knows, don't worry about keeping up with notes. They will be posted on the link above in the Recovered Life Network, and you can find all the chapters that we've discussed before. So that will be a gift for everybody to keep um, if you don't aren't in a place where you can take notes. But she um, opens up the chapter on the emotion love, and she starts like she often does with quotes. And there is a particular book that I will be purchasing later on today from Bell Hook, and it's called All About Love. And this is where this quote comes from. And Deanna, do you see the one? Would you read it? Yes, I can. Okay. <clears throat> Everywhere we learn that love is important, and yet we, have, we are bombarded by its failure in the realm of the political, among the religious, in our families, and in our romantic lives, we see little indication that love informs decisions, strengthens our understanding of community, 
or keeps us together. This bleak picture in no way alters the nature of our longing. We still hope that love will prevail. We still believe in love's promise. Bell Hooks from the book All Above, All About Love. That was haunting to me when, when I heard her read it. Um, and I think it's the perfect quote to open this discussion about love with. Um, the fact that it's, you know, does not alter, even though we see failure of love all around us, it does not alter our picture that we still hope that love will exist. We still believe in love's promises. I thought, yes. I mean, to me, that seems to be the direct reason that I exist is to love. And um, I just, I mean, really, I thought it was such a beautiful way to open the chapter. And Deanna, I'm curious about how you felt yeah. about that as the opening quote. And I want to invite I... people up and to send invitations out right now. So if you're in a place where you can contribute, please do come up. Yeah, I actually had a different experience when I first read this quote. And it took me a few attempts to get through this chapter. And I recognize now as I got through the chapter why that first quote just, it felt clinical to me when I read it. And the reason why is that I was in a space when I started this chapter, I did not have an open heart for anything. When I started this chapter, I was having a day that I was just closed off and I was like, woe is me. So when I first started reading that, that it, it fails us, I was just like, why are we talking about love and failure at the same time? <laughs> and so it took me a few, a few times to get through it. And now I read it from a completely a more open space and I read the last part of it we still hope that love will prevail. We still believe in love's promise. And now I, I read that because my heart is more open today and I'm open to that excitement of love. So that's how I felt about it. Oh, I love it. I love it. You see the word? The word is used. So Brene Brown goes on to explain that the, 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 what they call love is an umbrella term. And I thought that was really interesting because I know that I've gotten caught up in the word is not, you know, is applied to all kinds of things. But, you know, she starts uh, saying the umbrella term means including the preoccupying and strong desire for future connection, that powerful bond that people hold to and apply to a selected few and the intimacy that grows between them the commitment to loyalty and faithfulness. And it goes on to explain that love is not only between spouses, not only romantic interest, obviously, it also can apply and shows up even with strangers and acquaintances. And ultimately, you know, this is, um, later on we'll describe a term called love ethic that I think is one of the reasons why being in the recovery community, we manage to recover, we stay. And, um, and I believe it's because we still have that promise of love and we see it here. Now, there is actual debate among researchers that whether love is an emotion, which just cracked me up. And I wanted to share some of the data that she presented because I think that, you know, as we've discussed, Brene Brown is a grounded researcher, which means that she lets the participants determine the outcome 
outcome versus having an hypothesis and seeking data to support it. And so she kind of laughed when she said this, you know, that people are actually saying love may not be an emotion and shares this, this research um, from a very large study of undergraduates where they were asked to rate uh, an emotion, a rate a word against whether it was an emotion. And the range went from one to four. One means it's not an emotion, um, and four means it's absolutely an emotion. And love was the largest term. I mean, it, it ranked at 3.94 out of four. So out of these thousands of students, everyone believes that love is an emotion the only other emotion that was more that was as consensus uh, had as much consensus was hate which came in at a 3.9 and so i found that really interesting that some people would not consider emotion and kathy thank you for coming up i'd love for you to weigh in about the word love and the emotion of love and what you think about whether the quote or the information that was just presented Wow, love. Now, that is an emotion, I would say, um, possibly the most powerful, but also the most uh, ethereal and difficult to pin down. You can't... You can see it on the horizon, um, and if you're going that way, nothing's going to stop you getting there. Um, it's... I don't know, it's a source of love and pain, for sure. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have a poetry industry or a Hallmark card industry. Um, I'm not being flippant. I'm I'm just just kind of thinking about how it's how the word is used as much as anything else. Um, I say I love you. Since I got sober and since I came out of hospital, and some of you know, I I had a pretty pretty close brush with the Grim Reaper. Um, I say I love you very very frequently. But I say it with sincerity um, and I don't say it to everybody. I say it to the people I love because I want them to know I love them. Um, I want my last words to a lot of people, you know, if, you know, heaven forbid that, that something happens. But I, I want those to be words that are associated with me. Um, I want my heart to be an open and receptive place. Um, and some of that, even though love is, you know, the, the kind of crazy train out of control emotion that it can be, we can control our some of our behaviour around it. Um, and certainly, yeah, I, I want my heart to be to be known to be an open and, and welcoming place. Um, the flip side of love is awful. Um, but we can control some of that, I think, with practice. I mean, there's nothing so gut-wrenching as, as the opposite, as, as rejection or, or infidelity and things like that. Um, but we can, if we treat it just as an emotion, we're kind of surrendering to patterns of behaviour that are associated with it and that may, might come, you know, bubble to the surface very quickly. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested to see what these researchers say that it's not an emotion, um, because I think, oh, uh, I, I just would like to see that. But um, yeah, I'm sorry, I got so 
sunk into the words that Deanna was uh, reading them. I, I couldn't quote a, a single phrase back. It was just very beautiful, immersive reading. So thank you, Deanna. Um, and I'm going to uh, pass the mic with that. Sorry for uh, the gibberish. No, thank you. I, I really hope more people will come up because it is such a rich conversation. And to actually pull it apart and and see, you know, love is universal. And you brought up amazing things, you know, betrayal. And that's not an amazing thing, but it is something that we have all felt. And this chapter does address that. I love um, Brene Brown's quote. Uh, do you see it, Deanna, where it starts with, we cultivate love? Um, yes, I do. Would you read that one next? Yes. <laughs> We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known, and when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Do you want me to keep going? Love is not yes, okay. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow, a connection that can be cultivated between two people. Only when, it, only when it exists within each one of them. We can love others only as much as we love ourselves. Shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grow. Love can survive these injuries only if they're acknowledged, healed, and rare. Ooh, that's good. It's so good. And, you know, I thought there were some really great um, there's some really great information in her description of love. You know, it's not something we give or get. And I know for me, I have thought of love as I'm going to get love, you know, that I'm thought of it as more passive. And this position, these words reminded me that, um, that, it, that it's not something that can happen instantaneous. It needs to be grown. It needs to be nurtured. And I think that I knew that, but I also, you know, get kind of confused about the transactional love and the part, you know, and that's my codependency tendencies. If I do this, you will love me. The other thing that I want to ask um, to get feedback from both of you and anybody who wants to come up is this idea that, um, that we cannot love others. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. I have, uh, you know, heard a lot of this. And I think sometimes, and I, you know, I really thought about some of the things, good morning, April, thanks for coming up. Some of the things that I've been taught, like we will love you until you love yourself. Um, and so I, I was thinking about really how much deeper my love becomes as I have learned to love myself. It is definitely a deeper, uh, deeper connection because only until I loved myself, and I think, you know, that I kept working on loving myself, only till I learned to love myself and then the connections around me get deeper and deeper and deeper the more I love myself. And if you came from a background of trauma, which the majority of those who are in those of us who are in an addiction type recovery program had trauma that we needed to deal with, this can be really difficult. And so, uh, you know, I want to ask the question whether you believe 
or what you think about the fact that we can only love to the degree that we love ourselves. I'll take it here for a moment really quick and then I'll pass the mic. Um, I just want to say that what Kathy had said before about being in recovery and and now loving loving people more using the word love, um, I agree with that so much. I have a part of my therapy was the very first thing I did with my therapist was mirror work and telling myself, I love you looking me, myself right in the eyes and saying, I love you. And that was hard. And I didn't know I needed that so much. But then when I really started, when I just kept practicing and, and believing it and letting that seep into other areas of my life, I started seeing that in other people reflected back at me. I think that's part of it was that it's not that I can't love you anymore it's that it's like this reflection of one another and i think that is some deep deep love uh so yeah i'm glad people came up i i could talk about love all day long yes. but i want to hear from yes. people <laughs> you know for me self-love came from action this is one of the moments where i needed to act my way into the right thinking that um you know i needed to do affirming things for my body, for my feelings, for myself, um, that helped me start to truly believe it. And uh, April, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Thank you for coming up. I appreciate it. Okay, April, are you there? All right, perhaps her mic's not working. Daniel, thanks for coming up. I'd love for you to respond to the, either the question or the reading that you've heard about, you know, can we love others before we love ourselves or the way that Brene Brown has expressed this information. Okay, uh, of course we can love others without even loving ourselves at all. That's the whole concept of people care for us others better than themselves like that, that's normal they just they, they don't understand their their own self-worth right like even in the throes of my addiction i loved myself and i was trying to make myself happy through numbing my pain with all the other nonsense and i still loved my family i just blocked them out so i wouldn't hear them complaining because i'm a selfish child now that i'm Sober, same. Oh, we're losing you, Daniel, but you're saying such good stuff. Yeah, we, we can't hear you, Daniel, so maybe you can find a better place. Yeah, come back when you exit because you were saying some good stuff. <laughs> All right, Kathy. What is your thoughts on whether you can love others before you, you know, love yourself? Or what does that look like? I'm curious of your response to uh, Brene Brown's assessment. Um, I don't want to monopolize, so I think April and Mike. Oh, she so did. Thanks. Maybe yeah. April, you're with us. You you have the floor. Can you hear me? We sure can. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Christina. I'm really glad that my schedule allowed me to be here today because this is a great conversation. Um, 
I kind of, I'll be honest, I kind of hate it when people tell me that I can only love, like, others as much as I love myself. Um, if that, like, maybe I have a skewed, like, view of love. But for me, as, like, with codependency and stuff, I learned, I feel like I was only able to love as much as my caretaker allowed me to love, right? And if I could only love to the degree of loving myself, I would have never like stepped out in love. I would have never done anything out of love because I really up until recently was more self-loathing than self-loving, self-loving. And it was all about the things, you know, I couldn't do for those around me because I couldn't save them. And so I carried a lot of guilt and, and grief, I guess, because of that. So what I have found over recent months is the more that I break out of that self-loathing and do appreciate myself and do, um, you know, do acts of kindness towards myself, say nice things and find love and compassion for myself that my, I have a deeper level of patience, a deeper level of kindness and the love I've had for others has grown. So I, it's interesting to me, um, you know, that, it's just, it's a really interesting conversation. So I appreciate you guys bringing it up because I never really um, gave it a whole lot of thought. So thank you. I agree. It is very interesting. And that's why I wanted to pause and do that. And let me see if Kat, I'd love to hear your response to either what we've read already or, you know, to some of the comments that we've made. Hi, good morning. Yes. Uh, so good to be talking about love first thing in the morning. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the first time I heard, um, you can't transmit something you haven't got. And I remember that was so painful to hear like my, that crushed my ego. Um, because I remember when I first started doing service work, um, it's like, I wanted to save everyone and I thought I could. And I thought that, you know, I could get people sober through sponsorship and I didn't really, I missed the whole, I missed the whole concept. It was still, um, oh, sorry about that. It was still um, selfish, right? Because I didn't want to help people because of just the sole reason of wanting to help their lives get better. I wanted to help others because um, I wanted to make myself feel good. And I feel like that's kind of the same concept with, you know, love. It's like, I didn't understand what selflessness was to a full enough extent to um, transmit, you know, a nurturing, you know, caring. And I, I really like had to just like bring it back in and feel like, what does that even feel like, especially if you don't come from a home, you know, that shows you all those things. So I think that Brene Brown is absolutely correct here. Um, I think that, you know, we really can't, and it's, it's like, it's not a fault finding or a blaming thing either. It's just, we can only go so far with what we know, you know, and um, sometimes what we think is love, just we haven't learned enough about love yet. Um, so yeah, that's all I have. Thank you. Mm, thank you. 
Thank you for responding. And yeah, it is an interesting question because I do believe we can have acts of love and show acts of love. Um, and for me, not attach it to that deep feeling. And of course, we don't know what we don't know. Like when I had my son, it was one of the you know first times that I actually understood what unconditional love could look like. And, you know, perhaps some people get that from their parents and they learn it very early on. But until I was 35 and with an infant, did I really understand how deep it could be? And uh, with that, I know, D Daniel, did you get to a space where we can hear you? Yeah, I think so. Much better. Yeah, so, uh, like I was saying, I used to look Oh, no. No, it went downhill, Daniel. We can't hear you. Always. I'm, right, it's fine. I'm sorry. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, Every time he, he gets going, he's almost there. there. Is. <laughs> I would love to jump in and say something really quick about Please. something. Okay, so I'm thinking of love and um, this thought that we can only love people as much as we love ourselves, um, which is, you know, just what she said, and we're talking about it, whether I, whether you believe that to be true or not, is, I think, based on our own experiences. And what is coming to me is I had written down, when I, when I wrote the word love, I wrote strong desire for further connection. And for me, that was like a connection to other people, a connection to nature. Um, I love the things I love. I want to be more connected to them. And I thought about this, that I love myself. And so I want to be more connected to myself. So this week, I actually like I found myself in loving other people. I'm losing the connection to myself, which is not good. So I decided to take a little step back this week. I actually am I'm trying my best to not use social media, except for this app, um, to, to connect better with myself because I'm finding I'm struggling to love myself this week, which is showing up in ways in how I'm connecting with others. It's showing up that way. And I don't like that. So I'm stepping back from loving everybody else so fully. And I'm taking some love for myself. Um, so I just wanted to add that to the love conversation. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, we'll move on to lovelessness, which is not a term that I've heard often. You know, I, I was kind of confused about it because I promise up until listening to this chapter, I'm not sure that I ever considered the idea of lovelessness. And so I was hoping, Deanna, that you would read the quote um, that she opens up the chapter with, or this emotion with, on lovelessness. I believe it's from Bell Hicks again. Yep. Um, Bell Hooks. But Bell Hooks. That's okay. Good. Um, <laughs> it always gets me because uh, they do not capitalize their name. And I know that, but it always gets me when I'm reading it. <clears throat> okay. So let's see. Um, let's see here. I think I've already lost it. Hold on one second. Give me a moment. Starts with refusal to stand up. I'm back. Am I killer? Oh, yeah, he's back, but I can't seem to find 
We'll let him go exactly. and then you can locate it. We'll get back to it. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Daniel? Okay, I'm gonna go short and sweet. Love is great, it's a beautiful thing if you understand what boundaries are. If you don't have boundaries, then you get lost in love and then it turns into a toxic place that makes you uh, self-implode because you want to control that feeling at all times and you pedestalize the feeling over the actual relationship, right? So, yeah. We need to uh, restrict our own feelings and not pedestalize the idea of what we're going through versus the actual situation shit. Yeah, situation we're in because of... Uh, the way we feel so you got to release that because we love people because of their faults and, and then once we get comfortable there their faults become our annoyances and now you, you're changing and evolving and you're no longer the ideal i once had right oh, yeah that was good so, yeah very interesting and the evolution of love you know going from a dopamine surge where we love people because of how they make us feel to the deeper connection where we love people because of who they are. And we're no longer getting that, that dopamine hit um, that we do or the big rush of oxytocin. And a lot of relationships fail at that point because the only point of reference that somebody has is that crazy oxytocin rush of promised connection um, it's not even necessarily real connection and so yes i agree with everything you said boundaries are incredibly important um, and i often uh, you know have found that my love for let's say my husband grows the more i know about his weaknesses and the more i'm willing to show my weaknesses and so with that being said um, I don't know if Deanna, if you've had a chance to find the quote. Yes. Uh, if great, let's open up lovelessness. All right. Uh, thank you, Dan Daniel, for your share. That as somebody who is has been married for almost twelve years, um, I that resonates. So I appreciate that. Okay. So I found. I just had to turn the page. It was really hard for me to do. <laughs> Refusal. So we're talking about lovelessness. Refusal to stand up for what you believe in weakens individual morality and ethics as well as those of the culture. No wonder then that we are a nation of people, the majority of whom across race, class, and gender claim to be religious, claim to believe in the divine power of love, and yet collectively remain unable to embrace a love ethic and allow it to guide behavior, especially if doing so would mean supporting radical change. Fear, of radical changes leads many citizens of our nature to betray their minds and hearts. I'm totally dying to hear what you thought of that, Deanna, and the term lovelessness before we go to the rest of the people. Okay, well, I'm glad that Kat is in the room because I actually thought of something she said months and months ago about this. And I thought, I just went to black and white thinking like it's this or that it's either it's good or it's bad and a lot of times when i feel that when we're making decisions in our lives collectively that if there's something in the middle that doesn't work 
we tend, I, I don't want to speak for anybody, just in my experience in, in life, there, a lot of love is lost in the middle. The love is lost in the middle ground. But I feel that as people in recovery, we, we work on that love in the middle and and we have grace for one another so it so i'll just use an example like being arrested i have been arrested before and i some people in my life will see that as and and i know this from experience will see that as you have been in trouble with the law don't associate with that person other people might be able to see it as that person i have been in trouble with the law but but I still love her and I can hold grace and space for her and I see her as a human being. So there's probably a reason that happened or, or, or maybe not, you know, but there's room for love, which then leaves room for growth, which leads room for more connection. Um, so that's, that's where I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with that, but it brings up so many emotions for me because like you, I did not, I'd never really thought of the word lovelessness. So I'm still grappling with what that really means. So those are my two thoughts on it. Me too. I'm about as clear as mud on it after, um, you know, what, what she follows up is we need more love between us and among us, not unicorn rainbow love, the kind of love that is strong and stands up for what they believe in the gritty, uh love seeking justice and with that you know i'm gonna see if miss kathy would you like to share on this phrase or this term or you have you thought of lovelessness before i have i have hey. actually it, it's it's a, it's a terrifying word isn't it it's it's it sounds awful it sounds the worst state that you could possibly be in to be loveless um, to not receive love and not to be able to give love, which I think is the definition includes giving love. Um, it's it's like a phantom zone, isn't it? You, you're just trapped somewhere. Um, as for Brené's, I, I, you've got to get a different speaker to Deanna because I just listen to her voice and I just fall <laughs> into the words. You're going to have to get somebody a bit a bit not so good at it. Um, the, the state of it is one you can control for sure for sure um you have to you have to open yourself up to get away from this because i can't imagine a more paralyzing and uh, empty desert of a life than to be loveless and to do it on purpose um and that's not always fair because it's it's a reaction sometimes it's a protection thing but to not give love, oh no, you 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 can take steps for that. You you got to crack that barrier down. And all the imagery I'm getting in my head when I think about it is either a desert or walls of ice, um, but certainly something sand-based. Uh, <laughs> um, it just oh, it's it's just a, a harsh, heavy word, and a, a, I can't think of a worse place to be. And I've been there. And I, I didn't realize it till we were talking about it, but I, I have felt that way. I felt that I didn't want to give love and I certainly wasn't receiving it. Um, and I have, I ran from that. And some, I, I think I ran maybe too quickly, maybe in the wrong direction to get away from that state of feeling and, and possibly right back into the arms of my codependency. But it's, it's not a place to spend time 
and it's not a place that's healthy. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Oh, thank you, Kathy. You reminded me um, as I'm putting these together. I love the concept of standing up for something we believe in. And I can think of times where the world is too painful and too, you know, my nervous system can't handle it. And that is when I become silent. And it's almost as if I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to think about it. There is nothing because the pain feels so great when I need to, you know, when I need to be in a position where I defend my position or stand up for what I believe in. And uh, so it feels like apathy to me. And I'm just coming to that with everybody's sweet feedback. April, what, what do you think of the term lovelessness? Um, I don't really know what I think about it. I honestly, I'm having trouble kind of wrapping my mind around it. That's, that's where I'm at. I think that's really understandable. You know, <laughs> I've listened to this chapter four times and still keep coming back to confusion um, because I had never considered it a world without love. And I love that she says, uh, Bell Hooks refers to um, that we need an ethic of love because that I can kind of understand, you know, what, who am I? Um, I'm somebody who loves greatly. I'm somebody who stands up for what I believe in. Um, that I can understand. Um, I'd love Kat or Daniel, whoever would like to weigh in. Hey, I can jump in. Um, yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, okay, I'm trying not to use love so much, but lovelessness, I've never heard of it, but I'm happy that I have now. And I'm thinking about, I, I'm realizing why I'm getting, um, you know, my thought processes are going down the service road because it's just like, that. that, that is what love is, right? Being of service to others in an unselfish spot. And I'm thinking about, you know, lovelessness in a sense where, oh man, it's like, it's difficult to talk about, right? Like, because for me, I need to have courage to um, love unconditionally and, you know, standing up for things, right? My mind goes to excuse, these are my opinions and views only. I just want to state that this isn't the views and opinions of recovered life, but, you know, my mind goes to, um, you know, things that are, you know, generally political conversations, you know, how the justice system hasn't worked so far. And, you know, I heard of this concept of abolitionism, um, I think it was a couple years ago. And uh, at first, my mind just shut to it because it's new, it's different. I can't imagine a world where our justice system is different, especially because that's what we've known for so long. And, um, you know, to undo something that's been around for so long, that's scary for people. You know, we can even look at what's recently happened with abortion rights, right? We've kind of taken a step back into how things used to be. And, um, you know, again, just my opinion, that is lovelessness because we aren't thinking about the greater good. Um, or, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are following with me or if that's coming off too harsh, but um, 
you have to like stand up for what, and everyone's love is going to be different. And that's the beauty of it. Um, being accepting and opening and hearing people's thoughts out. Um, it takes a lot of practice in the principles to exhibit love, honesty, integrity, respect, brotherly and sisterly love, you know, all those things are needed. And, um, when we don't practice that kind of love, that I feel like that is lovelessness, where we're making decisions based on fear, based on what we know, based on what we're comfortable. Me, 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 I, I, I. That is lovelessness to me. So, um, yeah, it's pretty heavy, and I'm I'm really happy that we're talking about it. So, thank you. Oh man, Cat, I I love everything that you said. I I think it's interesting too that you said that love, this conversation is heavy. Because when I think of love, I think of love being light and fluffy. And But that's not the deep love we're talking about and the lovelessness that comes with it. Um, I just love that you said everything you said. It opened, with our heart open, um, I feel that love can get in with those into the cracks of the lovelessness if we keep our hearts open. Um, so with that, Daniel, are you in a place where you can contribute to the conversation? Uh, yeah, I hope so. I can hear you. And, uh, this kind of reminds me of the gender wars going on right now, right? Like, uh, it's like, I will find common ground with you only if you believe everything I believe. So uh, I had this interesting conversation with some people who were talking about being allyship. And they went on a 45-minute description, and I just asked them a simple question. Does that mean we have to, I guess it's not simple, but do we have to change the world so that people feel safe? Or do we teach people how to survive in this chaotic world? Which one is the real allies, right? Like, one is overly coddling and and preserving this person, like putting them in a box where they're safe. And the other one is showing them how to maneuver through life. But I don't know, I some people think uh, my views of it is a little harsh, so I don't know. Thank you, Daniel. I'm, I think we'll move on to betrayal uh, because this is a, uh, that's a big, big conversation. And, and it really does. I mean, lovelessness, the whole term has, you know, kind of leaves me in a place of di distress. So I think it's important that we spend the time thinking about it. But I also want to make sure that we talk about another beauty, heartbreak. Um, because one of the things that I, um, that I feel is universal and, and Brene confirms that is that we all have heartbreak and that it's more than just a painful type of failure um, it hurts in a different way because heartbreak is always about connection love and belonging and she reads an essay um, that i would love to read um, it was such a beautiful essay that i, I actually copied it word for word and i'm going to read it and then we will be at the end of our hour, I imagine, um, after we discuss it. As I mentioned at the beginning of the, the day, the discussion, this is a very rich, rich conversation. And uh, please 
mark your calendars for next Tuesday when we return to finish out this particular chapter. This is an essay that she published originally in her book, Rising Strong, such a beautiful book. And it's from Joe Reynolds. And um, she, you know, it touched her so much that she went ahead and reprinted it. And I'm going to do my best to read it to you. Heartbreak is an altogether different thing. Disappointment doesn't grow into heartbreak, nor does failure. Heartbreak comes from the loss of love or the perceived loss of love. My heart can be broken only by someone or something like my dog through a part of me believes, although a part of me believes that my dog is a person to whom I have given my heart to. There may be expectations both met and unmet in a relationship that ends in heartbreak. But disappointment is not the cause of heartbreak. There may be failures in the relationship. Indeed, there, there is certainly going to be failures. Um, will be for we are imperfect vessels to hold the love of another person, but the failures didn't cause the heartbreak. Heartbreak is what happens when love is lost. Heartbreak can come from being rejected by the one you love the pain is more intense than you thought um, to, oh my gosh, my handwriting was atrocious. The pain is more intense when you thought the other person loved you, but the expectation of return love isn't necessary for heartbreak. Unrequited love can be heartbreaking. To the death of a loved one is heartbreaking. I didn't expect them to love, live forever Death is nobody's fault, even in regards to smoking, bad diets, no exercise, and whatever. But my heart is broken anyway. Our related heartbreak is the death of something unique, maybe even essential in some ways. I didn't want my children to stay children all of their lives, but sometimes the loss of innocence is heartbreaking. The loss of love doesn't have to be permanent to be heartbreaking. Moving away from a loved one can break your heart. Changing another person I love may be good for them, a significant personal growth, and I may enjoy it and be happy about it and proud of it. It can also change our relationship and therefore break my heart. The list goes on. There is a plethora of ways in which a heart can be broken. The common denominator is the loss of love or the perceived loss of love. To love with any level of intensity and honesty is to become vulnerable. I used to tell couples getting married that the only thing I can tell them with certainty is that they would hurt each other. To love is to know the loss of love. Heartbreak is unavoidable unless we choose not to love at all. And a lot of people do just that. Every time we love, we risk heartbreak. Despite how lonely heartbreak feels, it's universal. I was just blown away by that description of heartbreak and how none of us can escape heartbreak. And Deanna, with that, since we have a short amount of time, I want to make sure anybody who wants to respond can. Did heartbreak take your breath away? Take the mic, anyone. Go for it. <laughs> I can go. This reminds me of a story. Well, it is. It reminds me of my daughter, right? Like she was doing her homework really hard, like trying to get through it. And then she looked at me and my wife and told her, told my wife, 
hey, uh, can you just finish writing this for me? My hand kind of hurts. And my heart broke because of the innocence of her not understanding she had to do it by herself. And she looked at us with such a disdain because we're like, you got to do that by yourself. Slow down, take a break. But she was just trying to get through where she ignored all the, the, the rules of engagement for her own homework assignment and wants to make it easier for her by jotting the rest of it down. I'll go. Um, I've been around the block, so I know heartbreak romantically, and I lost both my parents, so I, I know heartbreak that way. And heartbreak is different to grief. I think I think we are built to cope with grief. I think human be because we're such a fragile life is so fragile. Um, I think we, we have it within us to, to cope with those things. But the loss of love, she's hit the nail right on the head that either withdrawal or loss is, uh, is extraordinarily. And, and it, can, it can shape you. It can totally shape how you are. But you, you know, you've got to, I'm, no, I'm not going to give advice. It, you know, for me, it was, you've got to get over it because I, I have a lot of love to give and I don't want to, I don't want to stop that part of myself. It takes too much energy to stop that part of myself for me. Um, but yeah, she's hit the nail on the head. Uh, the, the taking away of love um, is heartbreaking. <laughs> um, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. And uh, if you do get the book or have read the book, you remember that she shares the story of losing her pet and how it was excruciating to drive home from the vet without their pet and that night the family of four sat on the couch and just grieved and you know made a decision she said as she looked to her other pet that was also grieving the loss of her dog that it was worth it it was always worth it and one of the quotes that i think is a beautiful thing and then maybe cat will run away in is the brokenhearted are among the bravest among us they love and they are they dare to love i'm going to say that again because i botched it the brokenhearted are the bravest among us they dared to love cat thank you for that christina um heartbreak man i love how she frames it um i think she mentioned it a few times but it's it's very apparent that um she makes it very apparent that it's something experienced by everyone you know and i feel like when you know you're not alone in those feelings it takes the power away you see you know you can think about anyone in your life how they walked through heart heartbreak and i'm kind of reflecting on if it wasn't for the heartbreak in my life i I, I don't know if I would have the courage that I have today. I wouldn't know if I'd be in the place that I have today. So many amazing things have happened right after heartbreak. It's just getting, um, getting over that slump. Like the biggest lessons, I hate that it's true, but um, when I am in pain, I learn the most. Um, I don't know if that's an alcoholic thing. I don't know if that, I'm pretty sure it's an everything, everyone thing, but um yeah, pain for me is the segue to 
so much possibility. Um, you know, the loss of love, man, that is like terrible and painful. And, um, but I don't know, I'm thinking about all the people like losing my grandparents, losing my little sister. And, um, through all of that, I've gained so much purpose and I've carried little bits of them in my heart everywhere I go. And, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm grateful for her and it, that's how like the human experience has to work, but it just is. And, um, yeah, uh, bittersweet for sure, but, uh, definitely something I'm happy we're talking about. Thank you. You're so welcome. And I'm really grateful to be able to read that last quote and just want to point out to everybody, this has been a very intense conversation. And so what I, I hope people will leave with, because we'll return to this particular chapter next week and discuss trust and distrust and bravery and all the elements of trust that was just beautifully written, um, as well as uh, betrayal and betrayal trauma, um, that you leave with the understanding that heartbreak is inevitable, universal, and it only exists because we are able to be brave enough to love in the first place. And, um, you know, Brene starts off the chapter by saying that she believes that love is best expressed by poets and songstress and, you know, the, the arts because it is so complicated. And so if you have something that, um, that you love, that you can embrace today, I hope you will go out and do that um, for yourself and for others because connection is our purpose. And with that, I'm going to shut down the room. Just remind everybody tomorrow, we'll be back at the same time for Recovered Life discussions on setting healthy boundaries and you know, uh, the death of love, codependency. Um, but I think, I think April and Kathy and Daniel and Kat and Deanna for coming up and sharing so honestly and bravely, bravely. And um, with that, Deanna, I'm going to have you shut down the room. Thank you again, my friend. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.